Blog Talk Radio. There's something outside. What is that? Shane and I were hosting the VIP event um, featuring Mr. Cliff Berrickman. Um, he did three different sessions, and we'll talk about that more as we get into the show. But, uh, yeah, we had a really good time, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about that and, and a lot of other stuff Bigfooty-related. With me today is my good friend, Shane Hardcore Corson. Shane, how are you? Good, good, man. Doing good. Uh, I know, I know. You made it home. I just made it home this morning. I spent an extra, extra night down there in in Portland. Uh, I didn't want to deal with the, the possible traffic, you know. Uh, given that um, we're talking, you know, the eclipse coming tomorrow or transpiring tomorrow, so I wanted to avoid the traffic. But there really wasn't any, uh, so <laughs> I uh, I made it back this morning. But I had a fantastic day Saturday at the Oregon Bigfoot Festival. I know you did. It was a very successful event. And it was really uh, an honor to be there, and and I got to give uh, JC, the organizer of the event, major kudos and credit. Uh, his wife, um, Katie, um, his brother Robert, JC Senior, and Rita, they uh, they really did a fantastic job with uh, this festival, Oregon's first Bigfoot festival, and it was uh, really well done. It was greatly received uh, by many. I mean, they had. Uh, Holy cow! Yeah, I'm not, you're not kidding. <laughs> four thousand people, four four thousand yeah. people come through uh, in one day, uh, and I was floored. Uh, very, uh, not a not a not a sad person in the house. It was a great event. Everybody had a great time, and four thousand people uh, in the city of Troutdale. That, that place had not seen anything like that ever before. Yeah, was, that's what uh, I was talking to JC at the end of the event, and he was saying that was. What you're just saying, it's it was the largest uh, event that Trout Tales ever had. So, and I, I, you know, they were coming out of the woodwork. It was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, Yeah, I think they were expecting something like 1,500 people, and to get five or 4,000 people uh, to show up uh, was uh, awesome. And I know all the vendors were there. There was like what 50 vendors or something like that. Yeah, a lot of them had something to do. Yeah, had something to do with uh, Bigfoot. You know, I had the Sasquatch coffee table that that Susan and Shane man Shane. Yeah, thanks Shane. Uh, Susan hey, and Jake man <laughs> man man for uh, a good part of the day because I was uh, inside with you uh, during Cliffs events. And uh, but yeah, we did really well selling Sasquatch coffee. Uh, I know the AOP was basically the only uh, uh, table there that that was research related and uh, I saw tons of people coming through there asking questions about the nest sites, you know, um, sharing stories too. We had a lot of interesting uh, uh, people that came through and talked about different stories. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The the OP table. Yeah. The OP table. I mean, yeah. So basically set up shop right next to Sasquatch coffee and, uh, it was really neat because I had Shelly come to Montana there. She was helping me out, uh, you know, while I was, uh, you and I were doing the hosting of the VIP event. And so I uh, really wasn't selling anything, you know. I mean, I, I guess we had, we, set, we had some T-shirts and hoodies and uh, some of Dr. Meldon's field guides, and that was it. And 
and really it wasn't about selling stuff. It was more about um, I wanted to set up a display to kind of show people what the Olympic project are about, some of the things we're working on. And so Shelly uh, really helped me out there, as did, you know, well, Gunnar, you're OP member, but you were right there helping out yeah. when you could. Uh, and, yeah, Chris uh, Spencer was in there, dropped in, too, and was yeah. talking to folks. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he stopped by and and uh, uh, Mike Leone uh, Leone he was there as well. So uh, wow, but our table was just uh, it was just packed. We were like the only table there that had any, you know really a, a display of you know track cast uh, information uh, and other you know other little tidbits that and it, we really got a good crowd. People wanted to know you know what we were about, our thoughts on stuff, you know, and like you said between the VIP. Uh, you know, um, thing with, with Cliff and being at the table and smoozing around the area, man, I heard a, a ton of encounters and eyewitnesses speaking about, you know, what they had happened to them or they knew somebody. It was That was really cool. 4,000 people moving through there and got a ton. I mean, I got a ton of, ton of contacts, you know, and maybe some, and uh, some of these things we'll talk about here in the show with some of these uh, reports and eyewitness accounts. Uh, I'm working on getting some of these people on the show because uh, some of them are, I mean, they're really interesting and, and pretty, you know, compelling. And uh, and uh, some of them are a little, they're not really, they just kind of wanted to share it with somebody. They don't really want to be on any radio show or TV or anything like that. Uh, but some of them, I, I'm, I think I can talk into joining us, even if they come on anonymous. I don't care. I think they're, they're, they're sto- some of their stories are fantastic. So, and I know you heard some too, Gunnar, and, and we're ta- we, we got caught up in quite a few conversations. Yeah, no, I, I talked to a gentleman um, named Doug who who uh, worked in some capacity, like checking the equipment out. I don't know if it was construction, I didn't pick that up, or if it was logging. Uh, it was logging. He, okay, because he, yeah. um, he had a, an a, uh, experience where uh, he said that, that uh, he was checking this out, checking this equipment, and uh, he had a squatch yell at him from uh, – really close, like 20, 30 feet away, something like that. And uh, he turned around and saw this nine-foot squatch and, and yelled back because um, he, he didn't know what else to do. Uh, you know, he just kind of figured he was he was toast, uh, but got out, backed up. He, and he had another story of driving down uh, uh, a logging road or, or something like that and with his kids and seeing one cross the road. And uh, that was interesting. So yeah, he, he, uh, interesting stories, uh, nice guy. Um, I heard some other stories that were a little bit, um, you know, we, one of the things that we do, you know, we, we use the moniker, we say, uh, monster X radio, Bigfoot without the BS, because one of the things we mm-hmm. we vet our stories with folks that we talk to them before we let them come onto the show and share their encounters. Cause there's, you know, there's, people out there that make stuff up and um, we don't really want to, to them to use monster X to promote uh, a line of BS. And uh, right. I, I, you know, I talked to another guy who claims to have had eight uh, sightings and uh, he worked out in the woods. So I mean, I don't want people like get uh, a little hung up on when people say they've had this many, you know, too many sightings, uh, but was that yeah. was that the same guy that got abducted fourteen times? Yeah, it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. So, yeah, I, I don't. So I don't I'll be con- contacting him. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. No. He he had a he had a lot to say, and and I he I was I was listening, and and like you said, Fort, he was a gentleman that that told me that yeah he'd been abducted by. Eight. I'm assuming aliens. He just said abducted, so I don't know if it was. You know. Maybe it was uh, the Albert Osman sort of scenario. Maybe he was rolled up in his sleeping bag 14 different times and taken away by a Sasquatch. Maybe it wasn't aliens. Oh, yeah. You're assuming too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I I got uh, the implication that he was implying that that it was alien abduction. So I okay. yeah that like I said, there's all kinds of stories and you won't hear them all. Just because they're fanta- more fantastical, uh, that's not really, you know, we're not tabloid Bigfoot. We're really working on, on uh, sticking towards the science-based uh, encounter stories. So not to offend anybody who, who's been, you know, seen Bigfoot a bunch of times and, and also been abducted by aliens because, you know, maybe that happened. 
I, I don't want to have that experience. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I hear those alien abduction experiences are not pleasant. You know. Yeah, so. no, I, I'll, I'll stay away from that. I'll, I'll stay with the Bigfoot subject. Uh, I'm a little more comfortable with that. But yeah, I mean, uh, that that one gentleman you were just talking about, not not the guy who got abducted, but, but previously, yeah, he. I remember him talking about being at that that site and seeing the muscles and the. There's a little bit of a auburn t- color tint to the hair and he could see all the muscles and it said it had a slightly conical head but the hair was kind of on top of the head was kind of co- you know uh almost like combed backwards in a way so mm-hmm. maybe it, maybe it wasn't conical it's was just the way the hair was you know coming up and uh a little bit of hair on the face i mean his description was it was detailed uh you know and he right was, it you know, was, he was yeah. yeah and there was a lot of i mean there was other other uh reports um you know, that were like that. You know, there was a lady, and I'll just call her Rebecca, uh, <laughs> that I, I'm, I'm trying to get on the show. Um, uh-huh. up, in the, up in the Olympics, she uh, talked about her parents having this constant activity and the neighbors having this constant activity, but mainly on her parents' property where they would get – she said it was almost like a daily occurrence. And I didn't take her to be one of these people, you know, where, you know, I got Bigfoot in my backyard every day. No, she was just saying, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of vocals. There's these things that are going through the trash. Or, um, and so she just wanted to know more about them because she didn't really know anything about the Sasquatch, you know. And, and so uh, her, her neighbors are aware of it and they're, you know, and they, you know, anyways. Uh, I, so, I mean, I, I want to get, I want to talk to her further. Uh, and since it's in the Olympics, I kind of want to get out there if I can and check it out. Um, but I'm someone else I want to work on getting on the show, you know, because of just uh, she seemed very adamant and, and quite serious. I didn't take her to be uh, uh, lying, uh, and right. it sounds like it's it's fairly consistent activity up there. Things coming through, and she said it's mainly in the summer. It's mainly in the mm-hmm. summer. Um, it's not like year round. And I kind of know this particular area, and there are a lot of reports during the summer months in this particular area of the Olympics. So um, my, she's got my, my my curiosity peaked a little bit. So I'm going to definitely try and check that out. Uh, another, um, see, there was another report, uh, I'll call it this guy, Mr. H, cause I'm trying to get him on the show and I don't know if he, if, uh, mm-hmm. he's, uh, going to or not, but I think I can get him on. Uh, he was, he was out hunting in the Gifford Pinchot, uh, forest with his uncle and his dad. And this is years ago. He, this guy was 15. This is many years ago. And he's, he, he got a little bit separated from him. They're out hunting and he got a little bit separated and he, he kind of hunkered down and he heard this crash. And off to his left, he sees something, he puts his scope up, he's, you know, thinking it's, you know, a bear or an elk or something. He puts his scope up, and um, he's looking at his scope, and he sees what he described as kind of a grayish-colored uh, thing, you know. And he, you know, Bigfoot then, so he said it was it was like a a thing. And so it was grayish color, had arms, head, legs, and it looked kind of humanoid. Um, and he said he didn't see him at first because he was kind of knelt down. Uh, he's viewing this thing through the scope, and he's getting a good view of it. And eventually, it turns around, it sees him, and and, and takes off. Uh, once he eventually got the courage to get, stand up and and find his uncle and his dad, he said that he he told them, and they went back to the area, and they kind of lined up, you know, you know where, where this thing was standing, and so they got a measurement. I mean, I don't know enough of the story to know if his dad and uncle believed him, but he said that they they measured the, the uh, one of the bushes there, and it was about three and a half feet tall. So this wouldn't have been a large Sasquatch. This would have been, you know, something more of a juvenile. Um, mm-hmm. But he got a good look at it. And so it's another guy uh, that I want to get on the show because I know he's got – there's a lot more detail there, and there's more to the story. Um, and so, um, yeah, there's another uh, great encounter. And there was many. There was many. Uh, I know Shelly Covington was sitting at the Olympic Project table and got in a conversation with a guy, and, and um, I don't know uh, where this will lead, but she was given a baggie. Um, eventually, she kind of talked this guy into, because, you know, Shelly's known as being like the, the DNA kit person. She's got these DNA kits, and she's all about getting people, you know, citizen scientists into collecting data properly, data in the field. Um, and so this person came up to her, told her a story about they were having this weird activity, and, they had a bag of bananas or a, a banana in a bag or a couple of bananas in a bag. And I don't know the story exact to a T, but basically where this was came up and something came up and I think they left on a picnic table, but it came up and bit the bag and pulled the bananas through the bottom of the bag, you know, probably like a Ziploc or something. Well, it left part of the banana in there. It left some saliva. 
And this guy takes it. He didn't know what it was. He thought it was weird because it, it didn't, like, it wasn't torn how he, he expected a, a large animal to tear the bag. And so he took it to his dentist. And his dentist is looking at the teeth marks. And he goes, well, there's some, definitely saliva in here. And, but these are large teeth. They're very human-like, but much larger. Uh, and so mm. he's, I, I, you got me there. So Shelly's got that in her possession, and she's going to try her best to get something done with it. And she's already promised mm-hmm. the guy, she, if she can't do anything, she'll send it back to him. But, and I didn't get a chance to see it. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where that leads. And so, uh, but that, you know, that's, that's why this festival, uh, in a lot of ways for me, was awesome. Uh, not just the seeing a lot of, I mean, I also got to see um, some really cool uh, pictures and trail cam pictures. Uh, people coming up and, you know, they, that's, sometimes these events for some people is about, okay, I, I want to talk about this, but I got I to gotta go to this event and see who I want to talk to. You know, feel the people out, feel the... You know, because there's other researchers there. You know, I, I I can't say I bumped into any, but I you know there's some there, um, and mm-hmm. then there's just enthusiasts, and of course Cliff was there. But in general, these uh, conferences and these festivals, what I've noticed over the years, a lot of people for the first time ever, or maybe the one time only, will come there and just want to share whatever they have, whether it's a story, or a piece of physical evidence, or you know, or you know, like a trail cam picture or a, a or video, or just a picture, and, and this Oregon Festival was a prime example. I had people come up to me and show me some cool impressions uh, from their cameras. They found some very, very interesting ones, and a couple really interesting trail cam uh, pictures. I didn't see any, I don't think I saw any trail cam video, no, I did not, this time around, other than what Cliff Berkman showed during his presentation. Um, yeah, I, I had not seen, see, yeah. Yeah, there's one yeah. on there I definitely had not seen before. Which one was that? Was that the uh, the one from New Mexico? Um, is that where it was? I I'm not sure. The is the researcher from Southern Oregon down by Roseburg that that uh, had had shared it with Cliff, and it looks like a calf. I mean, like you can see like some upper body that's going into the the behind the tree, but they're definitely in the lower frame of the picture. You could see what looked like a a calf muscle. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah that yeah. yeah Cliff yeah. Cliff used that in his uh, presentation. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that one. Well, that was it was it was definitely interesting and very suspect. It looked like a calf muscle. I mean, it looked like something had just walked through and was on its way out, and that's when the camera clicked, um, which happens with a lot of animals walking through the trail camera. You might just get that one limb. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and then he also showed the uh, there's a one from New Mexico on the uh, Indian uh, Indian reservation down there. I think it was the Navajo and. That, that one's always been of interest because you see the thing walking by, or not walking by, it's kind of a still frame. She took it with her flip phone, and uh, she's part of the security service, and it looks like it's carrying a big limb. I mean, whatever it is, it's carrying a limb, you know. So Yeah, yeah, that one, that I hadn't seen that one either. Yeah, it was, I'd seen it was, a long time ago, but forgot about it. Right, and it was, yeah, yeah it, it definitely looked like, I mean, the picture, it's, of course, it's, it's not uh, pristine, it's not focused, you know close-up picture, but it it looks like a large bipedal something carrying a large limb, uh, mm-hmm. kind of dragging it. Behind. Yeah, it, that that was weird. So, And yeah, I, I think man. he was talking about that because one of the subjects that Cliff went into was in the, the how is uh, technology um, affecting Bigfoot research. And he was, you know, the fact that, that people say that there is no hard evidence that there, how come there aren't any trail cam photos and, and Cliff even alluded to the fact that he has some that he's seen that he has uh, not been allowed to share because he doesn't own the, the pictures and, and he um, has, a, doesn't have an agreement with the, the person who took the picture to share it publicly. So um, yeah. But yeah, there's some that he's seen that are really, really good. Um, so and I don't like oh, yeah. somebody hasn't hasn't uh doesn't want it shared publicly. I mean that in some ways that adds more uh substance to it to me. There's a, somebody that wants to, you know, get get it out there and and is desperate for people to share it and see it always mm-hmm. it, that that's doesn't mean that it's not something legitimate, but it's a red flag to me is like uh need to check this out a little bit more thoroughly. Somebody's trying to promote it really heavily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with some of those, I believe that Cliff that Cliff has in his possession, 
I think, you know, there's a small percentage that were anonymously, you know, sent to him with no, no background, no name. So he really can't share it because then maybe that person will come out of the woodwork eventually and say, Hey, that's mine. And then some of the other ones, you know, he just doesn't have the permission, you know? And, uh, I mean, I know I I've seen, uh, actually, I'm sorry, not me personally. I know Derek Randall saw one at a, a, a Cowlitz convention last year. Uh, it was a trail cam video, and this thing walked by the trail camera, and basically you saw its shoulder, and then it, it walked away, you saw its back, and he said it was probably the most, uh, the best trail cam video, uh, most suspect trail cam video, uh, possibly a Sasquatch he's ever seen. And uh, he did not have it. He, we, he just got to view it. Some lady had it, and uh, he said it was, it was a, uh, I think he was trying to show it to Dr. Meldrum because Meldrum was there at the time, and, and but he couldn't get a hold of Meldrum. So, anyways, it was you know that there are there are videos and, and, and pictures out there, you know, and unfortunately, you know, um, even though there's a bunch of the good ones, uh, there's uh, you know a bunch of these hoaxes and stuff, and they all get thrown into the same basket. And you just don't know with today's technology like CGI and all, you don't know what's what um, unless you know the source, you know, and that's that's right. the difficult part. You really got to do your homework and research. But I, I believe there's some great part of me uh trail cam videos and there's regular pictures like that one from new mexico i i find that one on a flip phone you know i mean basically the woman took the picture uh on her flip phone and ran i mean she was quick it's uh it's not the greatest uh but it's it's not bad i mean you know and no yeah yeah and so uh no it's interesting yeah i mean yeah yeah i think people underestimate the difficulty of task of getting you know, I don't think Bigfoot's out in the woods uh, posing for trail camps. You know, you're you're talking about, and what, how? And then you're talking about their intelligence and how aware are they that a you know a trail cam is there? Because um, it seems like a lot of the times that where trail cam pic, where something that's a suspect picture has, uh, what is the context of what it was taken, how it was captured? Um, was it in an area? Was it new to an area? You know, it's like I always tell people, if I came in and put a trail cam on the wall of your house, you'd, you'd notice it. I mean, if you, you know, you just wander around doing your normal stuff, you'd notice the trail cam. But, it, but if there was a trail cam on your, the wall and it got put up right before there was an earthquake or a fire or something, you ran past the trail cam, you would probably not notice it. So, it, it, you know, how, how aware are the these creatures of their environment? They They seem to have a be very aware, um, you know, how smart are they? They seem to be really smart. I mean, they seem to be able to, you know, for the most part, uh, evade detection by kind. And we don't, we can't, we don't yet have the ability to walk up and find them at, uh, any time we want. So. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of the things at the, uh, during the VIP event with Cliff was that I picked up on, I mean, the, these rooms are, he had, there was a great turnout all three times. I mean, he did three separate speaking engagements uh, throughout the day that we were hosting and there was a great turnout. There was a, people were very eager to hear what Cliff had to say um, and, and ask him questions and just interact with Cliff. Cause you know, Cliff is very approachable. Uh, you know, he's, he spent tons of time hanging out with people, talking with them, going over, any question they had, going, you know, he brought a ton of cats. I mean, he must have brought about, I don't know, 40, 40 different uh, something, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, cats. And he explained, you know, them in detail to uh, uh, almost every single one. And, uh, you know, people got to learn about that. But one of the cool things I noticed, <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a woman there, and Gunner, you'll remember this because we both applauded. She was talking about the – she was kind of kind of tired of the, the – um, the paranormal stuff coming out. She said it was just, you know, it's come out of nowhere, and 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 uh, and she she was really happy with how Cliff was speaking uh, about, you know, being scientific and not not being that guy that knows everything. He said if, if someone comes in and goes, I know this about Sasquatch, uh, you know, then they're probably lying because um, they really how you know nobody really knows anything. And but this woman, I remember talking about the the paranormal aspect and and some of that, and we both kind of plotted at the same time. <laughs> I really appreciated the candor for some of the audience uh, of, of really being scientifically minded. There, it was. Um, there wasn't really anything outlandish. Some, I mean, some of the usual questions, right? What do you think about stick structures, Cliff? What do you think about? Um, do they travel around? You know, some of the usual questions. Um, and I don't find those outlandish. 
know, uh, some people do associate that possible behavior, and I can't roll anything in or out. So, but I did appreciate the fact that uh, those attending were they were really interested. You know, they weren't there just because. Oh, here's celebrity Cliff, Eric Min from Finding Bigfoot. They were there. I mean, they want they they were interested in what Cliff had to say. Did you get the same feel? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Uh, um, it, it was a it was a cool setup, I think, because uh, we had to lay out uh, like we had about twenty minutes, and and Cliff went over every time. Each presentation was a little bit different because we the way we set it up was uh, we called it a finding you know a like finding Bayfoot style. Uh, town hall Q and A, so um, we we asked Cliff a, a question or two and then opened up the floor to the audience, and because uh, it was really that's who the event was for. These folks came to and had the opportunity to uh, interact with with Cliff and and you know I, I I know there's the Cliff on TV that people see and and they don't understand that that uh, cast members their their personalities or their are are uh, may are edited for TV to look a certain way, but Cliff is I mean Cliff is a really smart guy. If you get a chance to sit down and talk with Cliff, Cliff not just on the on the topic of Bigfoot on but on many topics, Cliff is Cliff is a real sharp individual, um, and that carries over into Bigfoot research. So one of the, the statements that he made that I totally agree with was that any time that you say anything about Bigfoot. Um, you should always it should be prefaced as I don't know because unless you are someone who has repeated exposure to Bigfoot um, and and can document a particular kind of behavior uh, that uh, you know that then it's it's basically conjecture for the most part we don't you know we don't know much um, there's something that walks seems to go be bipedal that people have been seeing for hundreds, if not thousands of years, you know, that, that leave footprints on the ground. Occasionally hair is found or, uh, but we know far less about them than we know for sure about them. So, uh, and that's part of the, you know, as a researcher, it's kind of part of the mystery and the fun part, but, but it's frustrating for me when I hear people make definitive statements about, Bigfoot is this and Bigfoot does that and you know Bigfoot juggles balls and I mean it's <laughs> it's it gets it gets ridiculous because we really don't know and if you say you do then then back it up with some you know hard evidence so yeah yeah the uh, the hypothesis you know it's okay to hypothesize to uh, uh, have an idea uh, a theory um, I mean but really to come out and say, and it happens time and time again, whether it's social media or a podcast or uh, on some sort of expedition or just, yeah, uh, time and time again, somebody says, you know, uh, well, I know they do this. And, you know, what, did you see them do that? I mean, they Sasquatch, you know, um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's it's very rare. There's certain things, you know, that have been reported uh, historically over time with sightings, you know, certain things, you know, and you can um, – you can, uh, you know, hypothesize that, you know, given if the story is true or not, that they may do that. I mean, there's certain things in my head I think I think they do. Um, yeah, but you don't go out and say that you know them as a fact, their behavior. You, you, you have a, an idea of something you think they might do in your head, but you don't go out and, and, and make definitive statements that that's what they do because you know it. Because, I mean, you, you can make some conjecture based on, experience your personal experience but then yeah. like you said science is you have a hypothesis you test the hypothesis uh and you're not emotionally attached to the results you're testing it to see if this hypothesis is true so and that if you if it's not then you move on to something else but yeah there are some general things that that seem to be repeated in anecdotal stories so yeah that's um and Cliff made a point about that: is you know, do they make stick structures? Somebody, I think that was one of the questions. And that was, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And his response was, okay, we think that they, you know, vocalize. Well, some that they scream. There have been reports of people seeing them scream. There, uh, you know, there's. We think that they eat deer. Well, there's been a number of reports where they are seen 
killing a deer, carrying a deer, you know. But there's never been a report that he said he was aware of, and I'm not aware of any either of like them built somebody seeing them make a stick structure. Do they right. do it? Eh, maybe. There's something that, you know, on occasion there are these structures that are found um, fairly frequently. What does it? I don't know. Could you know? Is it yeah. the wind? I mean, I, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. you can't say that it's Bigfoot until you see Bigfoot do it, or or you get some you know good DNA evidence off of the the structure. That would be another way to prove it. You know, it comes back to how are we going to prove Bigfoot exists. Um, I I've been saying it for a long time, and I'll say it again. It's a specimen, alive or dead. So uh, I'm not going to go out and, and shoot one, but and I'm probably not going to go out and capture one. If, and if that was an easy way, uh, it would be done already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or some kind yeah. of long-term, you know, DNA study like Jane Goodall, where we get multiple pieces of clear uh, video uh, and photographic evidence backed up by DNA, multiple pieces of DNA evidence. Or maybe, you know, something like Project is working on which I did want to touch upon a little bit that, you know, that, that here's an opportunity if people want to be uh, part of uh, solving the mystery of Bigfoot. Um, here's a project that's been ongoing and handled uh, in a uh, not rushed to judgment way that uh, it, that it looks like there's some odd uh, nest that have been found up in Washington um, and and the Olympic project has been involved in in studying that site for now over two years, and and just recently Dr. Jeff Meldrum visited the site. I had the opportunity to visit the site with Shane about a month ago, and with Shelley coming to Montana, and and uh, Mike Leone went with us as well. And uh, it was it it's a, something to see. I tell you that and. Bear, you know, and, and and it's been it's been done in in a slow, carefully thought out way, um, where I I can't think of too many other incidents of of people that would have this this opportunity that wouldn't have already come out and said this is Bigfoot behavior because right now we don't know what it is. Now there have been hairs that have been um, looked at uh, by Cindy Dosen that. That match hairs in her um, collection. collection. That, yeah. Right. That look. So she's done hair analysis, not DNA analysis, and they they match closely with what are suspect Bigfoot hairs in her collection. Um, and and other hairs have been found that of animals, known animals that you would expect to be in the same environment. Be, and besides that, now the next step, Dr. Meldrum decides. Um, taking core samples from the nest, which I know that you were present and took part of, Shane. Um, mm-hmm. And that the next step is now there is the new science of eDNA, environmental DNA, which is uh, a step above what what we've had up till now that it would allow us to um, take those uh, samples and and see what exactly everything that that um, shows up in those samples. It's I call I, I liken it to like sifting the the soil and finding everything that was in it. You can do the same thing with with water, like Cliff referred to at the the event yesterday. Is that you can take water from a pond and it'll tell you all the different um, species of fish or other animals that were um, in that pond. It's it's mm-hmm. I mean this is this is kind of a game changer kind of thing for Bigfoot research. In terms of now, um, so now that's where we're at. Uh, I know that that Dr. Todd Distel in New York University is is the one who's uh, looking at doing the the processing. But now, of course, because it's new technology, just like every other new de- technology, when new TVs come out, this technology is expensive. What's it cost, Shane? Fifteen hundred dollars a sample or something like that? Yeah, it's anywhere. It's it's in it, it's about a it's about a thousand dollars, if not more. I mean, um, a roughly a sample, and so it's between I I don't know a thousand and fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, but I lean more. I lean about a thousand bucks per sample, and we got loads of samples. That's not the issue. It's the money. Money, mm-hmm. you know, which is usually right. the issue here. And there's an indigo 
uh, things set up. Uh, Dr. Meldrum, Dr. Jeff Meldrum at Idaho State University. You know, he's an anthropologist um, um, professor, and he he set this up. And it's 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 kind of coming to a standstill. I, I forget how much is in there. I want to see about five thousand dollars. We we're trying to we're trying to do about seven uh, to ten sample uh, to have them tested, and so. I think we're at about four or five thousand dollars, um, and and 40, there, there will be samples 40, tested. Yeah, forty-seven hundred twenty-eight bucks right now. Yeah. So we're, we're almost there. But um, yeah, man, I mean, what a great opportunity! This is a this is an area where there, you know, uh, twenty-one nests. So what, I was really happy because Cliff Cliff Berrickman really, uh, you know, um, he's not a part of the Olympic project. He, you know, he's he's uh, kind of like a. Yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he's about as close as you're going to get, I mean, for Cliff, because Cliff's not a, like he said, he doesn't, uh, he's not BFRO, he's not, he's not, he's he's a solo guy for a reason, because, you know, he said he, like, he, when he was younger, he got kicked out of the Boy Scouts, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, so, he doesn't play yeah. well with others. <laughs> right, no, but, he, I mean, but he, he does, but he does his own thing, too, but he's really excited, right. he, you know, he's really excited, he's been, He's put money into the Indigo Fund to, uh, to help, because he sees um, that this environmental DNA, you know, he's already, you know, he close been out to the site. He's seen these nests. Uh, he's seen how they're constructed. Um, he's he's seen the results from the hair. Um, he's seen, he even talked about the rocks at one of the point nests where you know these two softball sized rocks, which I actually have at my house now, uh, that had all these uh, scuff marks on them. Something had been knocking these rocks together. Something, and so he's really enthusiastic. About it, and he explained about a little bit about the environmental DNA, the the eDNA, uh, which I got was fortunate. A lot of people were really interested. Uh, I shared a few pictures of the nest on I had it on the table, and people were, what am I looking at? And I explained to them, and they were really interested in the in the, the the science of it all, and they had no idea that people were actively pursuing this this avenue, you know, and they were thoroughly in, uh, enthusiastic about it, as as I am because I think. That this is the this is the uh, future of Sasquatch research. You know uh, whether um, uh, it, whether these are Sasquatch nests, I don't know. You know I lean that direction. I have my ideas, but uh, at the end of the day, I do know that this is undocumented uh, behavior uh, of something. So by any that's, yeah by any yeah. animal by any yeah. animal bear, yeah yeah bear biologists have been out and looked at these nests and they say yeah. this is not bear behavior or if it is. It's not any bear behavior that's documented. Right. And so that, to me, uh, is exciting alone. Right. And so uh, I, you know, I expect, at the end of the day, uh, some sort of uh, peer-reviewed paper written up about this, uh, no matter what, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's Sasquatch or some other critter. Um, you know, but uh, it's just really exciting where the, the technology is going, and Cliff really talked about this, how technology is starting to catch up to, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, you know, um, FLIR, you know, in general, yeah. FLIR in That's general true. were very, uh, very expensive and hard to get. You know, there, some people had them, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was just out, I was just out at uh, Mount, Mount Rainier area with Barcatino and Shelley Compton and, and uh, Chris Spencer and, and, and Kirk Brandenburg and, and uh, Ray Hughes and Rebecca, a, a good group of people. And, and we had multiple FLIRs. <laughs> we had multiple FLIRs. This is an area where Bart, uh, had something on a FLIR many years ago. I mean, what confirmed, you know, Bart Catino, a FLIR master, but he got something on a FLIR that pretty much solidified the, the existence of Sasquatch to him. Um, and so, but what I'm getting at is the technology is catching up, and we had multiple FLIRs. Some, I mean, we're getting better FLIR footage. We're, we're putting ourselves in, uh, in, in better spots. The right people are getting their hands on this sort of technology. Um, and so with, with the handheld technology, whether it's you know FLIRs or scopes or whatever have you, uh, audio, we're also getting into where the stuff that's not we can't get a hold of, which is uh, as citizen scientists we can collect the data, but we need science to look at it. And it, it not you know and we're getting better at collecting it too. People are getting better right. at collecting it, collecting it the right way. Where a scientist will actually go, okay, well, you, you collected this uh, in a proper fashion. I will look at this, or you know, hey, everything costs money, but. We're getting there, and now you got this environmental DNA that uh, has been uh, proven to get some amazing results in regards to Neanderthal, that you know, um, uh, and whatnot in these caves and stuff. There, you know, finding that yes, uh, they can go into this cave and, and ch- check the soil out, 
you find out, oh, yeah, there was uh, woolly rhinos, bears, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Neanderthal, Neanderthals, too. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, <laughs> thousands of years. So we're talking right. – put that, put that in, you know, in the back of your head there. Think about this. We're talking about thousands of years in the soil – uh, of soil from these caves, and now we're talking about maybe uh, a couple years um, of something being in these nests, uh, in the soil, the skin cells, and everything that drops to the bottom. You know, they're going they're going to be able to figure out exactly what was in that nest. Uh, you know, obviously there's an unknown, but could it be you know unknown primate. I mean, it's it's exciting the direction uh, technology is going and how it's being um, used. Uh, so uh, I'm excited about it. I know Cliff really uh, was. Uh, I know he's excited about it, and we talked about this at the uh, this uh, Bigfoot Festival. And uh, I mean, to be honest, a lot of people don't aren't aware uh, of this. They just think, oh, everybody's running around the woods, knocking trees, yelling, uh, and looking for footprints. Well, it's much, much bigger than that. Much bigger than that, you know. And I'm excited about the future of it. And uh, I, I hope that, part of me, those that are listening to the show, I mean. There's a, a lot being done, whether it's audio analysis or DNA or, uh, you know, uh, hair analysis and all these different things. So it's exciting. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, Gunnar, I'm stoked to take you out to that nest area so you could finally see what I've been talking about for so long. Because it's, you know, we could talk about it all day, but unless you're there, you know, it's, I, I can understand frustration from people. Because a picture really doesn't mm-hmm. do it justice. You have to be there. Right. And we we did, it was a, a, a robust hike. I would. That's how I would describe it. Because I mean, you know, we went from finger to finger and looked at several different places where these nests were. And there's there was the original nest site. Um, you know, if you if you haven't um, heard about this or or don't know the details, we you can go to our archives and find the show we did with uh, with Derek Randall's a while back. But uh, um, it but visiting the site, it what, one of the fascinating things to me is you being there two years later that you can see how fast that the, the, the forest is actually recovering um, from the damage that was done to build these nests. Um, because it, uh, if you can still find with looking uh, where all these huckleberries were snapped off to, and then brought to these nests and, and weave together. It's really weird. Um, and, uh, but it, it also is now, you know, recovering things are the huckleberries mm-hmm. are now growing out of the place where they were broken before. So it it's uh, I'm I'm one of the things that's interesting to me is how often is this area used? You know, and I think that they're not used for a particular reason. Is that I think it's because it's fine, and it'll, they moved on to somewhere else, and they'll be back around at some point. So it, um, it'll be interesting thing because uh, to the best of our knowledge, these nests haven't been used again. Uh, or added to, you know, or anything since uh, they were originally discovered. But it seemed like at the time when they were first discovered that they were pretty new within, a, you know, within six months as as best I, I could guess. So it, yeah, it it's was, fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it was, I think the, I think uh, Derek and I had guesstimated it within about a month because it was still green. Um, and of course, that was just the initial nest find. There was, right, you know, right. there's been, uh, you know, 17 others found, uh, or actually, sorry, 16. So a total of 21, 16 found after the fact, and right. that appeared to be maybe older, maybe the same time, maybe older. And and like you said, Gunnar, it does make sense um, because you know if, if any animal that <laughs> it doesn't matter the animal, once you kind of deplete the resources in that little area, you're going to move on. Now I don't know why these nests were built. If it, you know, it just Assuming or uh, hypothesizing that these may be um, Sasquatch nests, you know, uh, a lot of people come at me and go, well, why would they build nests? You know, I mean, uh, we would find more nests. And that alone is a lot of assumption there. Why would you find more nests? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. It, it. Like you mentioned a few minutes ago, these, this area is, is getting overgrown. The huckleberry is coming back. You know, that's what these nests were made out of. And it, this little area on the point of a finger Overlooking a salmon creek. Well, at one to- at one point, this little area was decimated. Well, now it's growing back. The huckleberry's growing tall again in this area. It's going to be coming back. It's going to be eventually. Everything's going to disappear. You know, nature will and, take yeah, back. Yeah, and the and the nest starts beginning to degrade. Nature yeah, is nature you will know, take back. The environment, you know, nature will right. Take. So, 
Yeah. Right. So, and maybe, maybe something will return one day. I mean, there's two tree right. nests. Uh, w- there was one initial tree nest found, and now we've just found a second one. Um, and I, 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 I think that they're associated with what made the nest on the bottom. Why? Because they're in the same area. I mean, right there. And so, uh, I assume, you know, we we actually have somebody. Uh, we 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 are lined up to actually do some work this week on figuring out what uh, these tree nests are about. Uh, it's taken us a while. Um, I'm excited about it because we're finally going to kind of rule in or out if these tree nests, uh, or at least one of them, uh, this week, if they are anything to do with what's going on on the ground. And so um, I think we'll be able to figure out that this week, at least I'm hoping to. And so that's another uh, thing to look forward to is, is what's going on up top because <laughs> there's these tree nests. And, and they're they're large and dark and, and they're right there in the same vicinity as the ground nest. You know, I've been all around this area. There are no other tree nests uh, that I can see. And so these just, you know, they stick out like sore thumbs when you're below them in this area. You won't see them from the air. They're in mid canopy. So uh, that's something else. But one of the things yeah. that I wanted to say real quick was the, the, uh, that's the exact reason why we don't find more of these, I don't think, is because, uh, as I, I think I discussed on the show before, um, all these nests that I have I've read about um, that have been discovered, you know, like on Prince of Wales Island, um, in, in Bluff Creek area, they've been found by timber, uh, a, people that work for the timber company or associated with a timber company. Um, these are people that have to be in these areas. You know, these areas, this is their job. They, they go out and mark cuts. They mark areas. They tag trees. These are guys that have, this is their job. Now, would I, where, where these nests are located, is this an area that I would go to personally? No, I'm not going there. It's not fun to get to. It sucks. It's, uh, it's, um, it's very difficult to get in and out, and, and I would have no reason to go to this area. I, honest to God, I would have no reason. I wouldn't be hunting this area. I wouldn't be hiking this area. No, but the timber guys would because, well, they have to log it. And that's why if you notice or, and you do your, your homework and research or listen to this show, because I'm going to tell you, the, the guys that find these nests, over, over historically speaking, have been guys associated with timber companies and whatnot. So these guys, like I said, they get paid to go to these areas. They have to be. It's their job. Not my job. You know, that's why they're not found, I think, very often. They're in hard-to-reach areas, and they're rare, just like Sasquatch. I think they're rare, just like Sasquatch. Well, they are rare, but uh, yeah. just like Sasquatch, in my opinion. And so this is why we're not finding more nests, you know, and they're, they're maybe, you know, hypothesizing once again if this is Sasquatch behavior, and I'm not saying it is 100%, no. But if it is, maybe this is a nursing area. Maybe this is an area where, because we have found multiple-sized nests. Maybe this is an area where... Mama's bringing in a little one to hunker down for a little bit. You got huckleberry and you got fish, and you got you got shelter mm-hmm. and you got a place to hide. Hypothesizing here, not saying things fact, just saying that right. would make sense to me because I don't think Sasquatch gives birth every year. I think it's more like an orangutan right. where it's every six to eight years, and so that's why these Which nests mean, will yeah. be built right. periodically. Right. I and I agree. I mean, I there there have been on a, a, occasional um, nests found. Um, Cindy Dosen talked about finding one, uh, I think, up in Vancouver Island. If I and I may be misstating You're that. You're correct. Okay, and we had a guy, a guest on the show a, a while back that talked about finding a nest um, down in California. Scott um, yeah, Scott right, Harriet. Scott, that, right, and then there was uh, a nest recently. There was an interview uh, that Daniel Perez did with uh, a gentleman associate from Bluff Creek from the time frame that the Patty film was was uh, yeah. that was found down in the Bluff Creek area. So it isn't yeah. that they're not found. Um, it, and, and how many times, you know, are people out in the woods and they run across something that they don't know and they don't, you know, they don't do anything about it. They just, oh, that's weird, and they move on. Um, that probably is the most common scenario if somebody happens to be in an area where, they're ha- they happen to run across something that looks like a nest. Would they, you know, would they recognize it as as anything unusual in the first place? Would they care? You know, would they report it? Would they record it? Probably yeah, not. That for goes the most for, part, that, you know. 
Yeah, that goes so, right next door to bone. I mean, I mean, what right, people really yeah. most people are not walking through the woods. You know, uh, you know, they come across something unknown. A lot of people, will, you know, they don't know what it is. They leave it. You know, and I think that's right. happened, like you said. Yeah. So what is the what is this area? We don't know. I did want to direct people to the Indiegogo uh, account that uh, Dr. Meldrum set up. Um, you can find the link uh, on our in our Facebook group. Um, you can also find it on our public page. Um, we'll put it up in in uh, the link for this show uh, when we get it uh, when we've tweaked the show a little bit. But uh, um, yeah, it, I want if you want you know here's an opportunity if you are someone who seriously is interested in having an opportunity to participate. You know, it doesn't matter if you put a buck in or or whatever you can afford. Uh, you, you get here's an opportunity to to participate in a real scientific study uh, involves uh, possible uh, you know unknown animal behavior for sure and is it Bigfoot you know it could be uh, like I said I I'm always a, a fan of corroborating evidence and not you know a single picture a single footprint it, it, they're cool to find but they're more uh, I, I like the be able to find multiple pieces of uh, of evidence, and this we've got we've got some hair. Um, there there actually was scat that was collected from around the nest area. You've mm-hmm. got you know you've now got um, you've got the nests themselves, and and now we have the opportunity to perhaps uh, do do DNA. It's going to get done the DNA analysis on this, and but don't expect the in the next week or two that the answer is going to come out. Um, oh no, no. This this is not a quick process. Uh first the money has to be raised and there has to be uh you know the the test has to be arranged and and all that. So it's it it's not uh if you're looking for a quick answer it's not going to happen in the next couple couple days or couple weeks where it's it's another case of it um science goes slowly. And again, if you want to participate go go click on the link and um I need to get in there and uh do the same. Um, in fact, I'm going to do that when I get off the the show today. Go in and and because uh, I it's something that's fascinating to me. I think I really think that this is uh, uh, a a game changer for Bigfoot research. Uh, um, how do you how do you know? I mean, this is this is uh, but a great opportunity. We don't know until we we uh, plug it in, and then now we could take you know if you think you've got a you're a quote-unquote habituator. You have a, a Bigfoot in your backyard. Then go get some dirt from your backyard, you know, and 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 get a DNA uh, study done on and see if you can back up your claims of of uh, Bigfoot as your pet. But uh, but the thing is, we can it can now be replicated in other areas where maybe they're known to to frequent if there's you know. There are databases out there that that show that they they come back through areas or there's multiple sightings within a certain uh, area. So um, it'll be cool when when this this is the you know the initial uh, test done like this uh, applied to this subject, and then yeah. um, uh, I'm excited to see what the results are. I'm I'm you know, obviously being a bigfooter, I I'm hoping that it comes back as unknown. You know, or yeah. something, and and I I'm not an expert on the science of DNA, but how far down we're gonna in fact we're gonna have Doctor Distel back on the show uh, to talk about what this process is and how this will uh, apply to uh, uh, to this this study um, because yeah. it's it's uh, it's a fascinating thing and he's a, he is an expert at uh, DNA processing and and studies so. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and uh, he he'll be able to you know he has his expertise. <clears throat> if there's something uh, to be furthered after his results, and he could pass it on to to the next you know something outside his his expertise to the next scientist. And uh, and this is an opportunity too because you know like I said I I found that you know I haven't done some research down and on on nests in general uh, unknown nests and nests that uh that are that are very suspect that have been found throughout you know history uh well yeah you got a cool story you know you go oh and and they do kind of match up with our nesting site that we're working on and but uh you know those other nests 
um, though they could be cataloged and measured and all that, that that's all they're, they're going to be. And so I don't want this nesting site that we're working on to be another, um, oh, that was cool, um, that was a maybe. Uh, you know, I want, I want, not only want uh, this eDNA performed on the soil samples, and I'm hoping something comes back, you know, uh, of interest, but I would like uh, these to be replicated. I'd like to find more uh, nests in our area because if you get a soil sample, the environmental DNA done on this, and it's it's of interest and it's suspect, and there's something to it. How cool would it be to find another nesting site somewhere else and corroborate this nesting site? Then, then, then you really. I mean, we got 21 nests. I mean, that's a lot to go with in this area, and they're not on one area. Uh, I gotta I gotta tell people that there's 21 nests. They're not on. There's these fingers coming off a mountain. They're not in every. They're not 21 nests in a little area. They're spread out. Okay, so you got maybe four in one finger, and five on the next finger, and uh, there's is one really large nest all by itself on another finger. So they're not just congregated in one area. So I'll just because I know that was brought up at the festival uh, this this Saturday. Um, but how cool would it be to find other nests in another area, uh, hopefully fresher, and then pull the soil from that? And then it matches the other results from this other nesting site. I mean, that's what's needed. And this is what science is right. going to require. And it's needed. And, and yes, the Olin Project is, is working on doing that. We've got some areas in mind that we're going to go look and, and search out. But, man, I, I guarantee there's other great uh, researchers, enthusiasts, hikers, uh, people that are just interested in the subject that are, uh, might go, hey, you know, I've heard on, on Monster X Radio, Shane talk about this, Derek talk about this, Gunner talk about this. Um, I, I, I know an area that may, you know, maybe they know there's, some, there's been some activity in this area, or maybe there's not, or, you know, hey, shoot, find, find you know, I'm all for uh, someone else replicating, you know, finding the same sort of thing. And um, I think uh, this environmental DNA that's going to be performed at some point, and like you said, it'll be, it'll be tedious and long, as science requires, uh, and the right thing to do. Um, if something comes from it, wow, I mean, now we're moving in, I mean, I already think we're moving in the right direction, but then we're really moving in the right direction. And that, to me, it's just oh, another step forward instead of this, this uh, what's been for me, as I've seen, it kind of steps back. Let's move forward. Let's get past, past uh, these fantastical claims and these hoaxers and, and the nonsense and the, all, you know, the uh, ridiculous YouTube videos. And not all of them are ridiculous, don't get me wrong, but a lot of them are. Uh, and so let's get past all that and let's uh, move forward. There's a ton of great researchers out there, other groups. Uh, the LIM project is not end-all, be-all. There's other groups out there and other individuals. Um, you guys can do it too. Uh, this is, a, this is a, right now a hobby for everybody. You know, no one's a professional Bigfoot hunter or Bigfoot tracker or searcher. And so, I mean, uh, a lot of us would love to get paid to do this because it's something we're passionate about, but we're not. So get out there and do your hobby the best you can do it and uh, let's get some results and work you know, let's let's uh, let's do this. Collaboration, not competition. That's right. <laughs> so, but uh, but one thing you touched on, you touched on really quickly, was replication. Is that now that this area has been looked at? I know that some people that one of you were one of those people that are involved in the project are looking for other areas that mirror this 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 site because you know, there's some some characteristics about the site that are very unique um that and um that if you can go to some it, it narrows down you know we have this needle in the haystack thing where the needle's moving so what what uh it's cool is that now we have an area that maybe we can identify some other areas that are like that and uh if that's true that'd be cool um and uh, like I said, it'll be exciting when uh, the results come back. And uh, of course, we'll we'll share them with you here when we we hear about them. Um, we're running out of time for the day. I, I this this is always one of my favorite types of shows where we just get on and talk about Bigfoot and what's going on. Um, I do want to uh, thank all the people that attended the Oregon Bigfoot Festival out in uh, uh, Troutdale yesterday. Uh, great time. Good talking to a lot of you. Uh, thank Cliff Perkman for being out there and JC and, and his team um, for putting together a great festival and, and honoring us with inviting us to come and participate. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. Um, hopefully we'll get to do it again next year. 
but uh, I, like I said, it was it was a fantastic time. So we're just about out of time. Uh, thanks, Shane, for uh, sitting down and talking with me today uh, for Monster X Radio. Don't forget to go to Sasquatch Coffee. We've got a 15% off sale going on right now. Uh, it's uh, use the coupon code is Squatchy. So punch in the Squatchy code, the code Squatchy, and get 15% off your order at www.squatchcoffee.com. And go check out our website for Monster X Radio. It's monsterxradio.com. doesn't get simpler than that. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll be back next weekend with another Monster X Radio. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.